0: Our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influence the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, episode 19, part 2 of our Flat Earth Theory discussion, what are the core beliefs of modern Flat Earth Theory? What is belief, and how do our core beliefs shape our ideas? Is it really just a fact versus fiction debate, or is there something more that causes such a strong reaction to Flat Earth proposals? This time on Conspiracy Theorology, we will flatten the facts and spin the Earth disk of understanding as we explore beliefs and belief perseverance as a major factors in our fascination with Flat Earth Theory. Howdy right, theoriologists. All right, let's continue our discussion on flat earth theory. In part one, we focused on the history of modern flat earth theory, its introduction in the mid-19th century, and the contemporary philosophical musings at the time, which were opening up new thought on reality and existence. In our theoriology discussion, we explored the beginnings of existential thought being introduced by Soren Kierkegaard, and dove into the psychology of perceptual constancy, which should make us all question our certainty about the reality of the world around us as we perceive it to be. So, we've covered perception and the the wiggle room that can give when observing the world around us. But perception only gives us a piece of the puzzle. It gives us the data from observation. It tells us what we see and how things appear. What it does not do, however, is explain how that turns into something we understand to be true. That's where belief comes in. Defining belief is a difficult task, and it's a term that's used in a multitude of ways, depending on context. The term is used to identify a psychological phenomenon in conscious thought. It's used in philosophical discussion to explore the study of knowledge. Beliefs are categorized with qualifiers such as core beliefs and dispositional beliefs. They are separated into groups of uh, epistemological beliefs and religious beliefs. Even the formation of belief is a topic of discussion. But all that said, we aren't going to drill into every nook and cranny of the study of belief. But we do need to understand it superficially in, in order to discuss Flatter theory. For our purposes, belief can be viewed rather simply. Beliefs are often formed by creating compelling explanations for why something is true. Now, before we get further into that, let's take time to review some of the beliefs that comprise flat earth theory in its most modern incarnation, that of the Flat Earth Society founded by Samuel Shenton in the 1950s. Now, number one, right? The world is disk shaped with either a defined edge or extending out infinitely as a flat plane. Either way, we exist in a circular, disk shaped segment that is bordered by an ice wall that holds back the oceans. The ice wall fully encircles the Earth disk upwards of 200 feet tall and protects us from whatever lies beyond. Number two, The sun and the moon are the same size. Relatively small, they have diameters of 32 miles and orbit the center of the disk, which we identify as the North Pole. And number three, this is a biggie. Gravity doesn't exist. The current understanding of gravity depends on Earth being a spherical object. But this is incorrect, according to flat Earth theory. Objects simply fall. Now, we'll get into each of these in a bit, along with the observations used to support these beliefs, but I know what you're thinking. Who cares? They're wrong. The facts prove otherwise, right? What are the facts? Number one, the Earth is a globe. It's roughly spherical, and it, along with a handful of other celestial bodies, orbit the Sun, which itself is orbiting the center of the galaxy. Everyone knows that. Number two, the sun is really big, and it's about a million miles away, which is why it takes eight minutes for light from the sun to reach us. And the moon, well, it's much smaller than the earth, and it orbits the earth in a tidal locked orbit so that we only see one side of the moon. And number three, gravity does exist. It is the reason the planets are round. Because it pulls everything into an evenly distributed sphere, and gravity keeps us on the earth. All facts, right? Well, don't jump the gun. Let's not be hasty here with assuming facts are at play here at all. In order to understand why belief is at the core of the discussion, we have to first accept that this is a debate between two beliefs, not a fact-versus-fiction battle. Facts are just something we use to support, validate, and shape our beliefs. I found a great example of this, which explored the statement, the sun will rise tomorrow. We've all considered this a, a statement of fact. But the thought of the sun rising isn't exclusively brought to mind, independent of all other thought. It's the confidence in the sun rising tomorrow The belief in that event, it's tied to other thoughts and plans which are dependent upon the arrival of tomorrow. Sure, you could go through efforts to validate the location of the sun overnight and establish a a high probability that sunrise will occur. But it's that confidence, that faith that it will happen that makes it a belief. Why get into all of this? Well, because the root of the theology behind our fascination with flat earth isn't the belief in flat earth. It's because it questions the belief in a globe. In truth, honestly, no one believes the earth is flat. I mean, statistically speaking, the number of ardent believers is negligible, though extremely vocal. Uh, according to a February 2018 YouGov survey. Only 2% of the population polled were certain of the flatness of the world. 2%. That's a statistical blip. Yet with all the pushback, including high-profile scientists like Neil deGrasse Tyson, you'd think that the Earth, uh, flat Earth theory is being reintroduced into schools around the country. Yet... Flat Earth, with its marginal volume of support, causes huge waves in public psyche. In fact, you hear about Flat Earth theory in the media all over the place, and it's almost always brought up by people who don't support the theory. There is more discussion, video, and media copy spent on arguing against, or at least ridiculing, the theory than anything in support of Flat Earth. It's almost laughable. Why do we get so worked up? Why is it such a hot-button topic? Well, it's because it makes us revisit beliefs that have been untouched since childhood. And at the end of the day, it's upsetting how little fact we have to support the belief. See, it's becoming well understood through psychological research that people are really good at holding on to their beliefs even after the basis of those beliefs are discredited. In social psychology, this is referred to as belief perseverance. The term refers to time when people hold to to their initial beliefs, even when new information directly contradicts it. In other words, beliefs persevere in spite of evidence to the contrary, specifically Belief perseverance is what happens when new information discredits the basis for forming the belief at all, most notably ingrained core beliefs. In the context of flat earth, this phenomenon is applicable to both perspectives. So let's talk about those core beliefs a bit, and then we'll walk through an example. Much of our world we live in is defined by our beliefs, And most of our core beliefs are formed in childhood, before the age of seven years, actually. And how are they formed? Well, through a number of ways. Beliefs are formed by direct experience, through our personal filters. I mean, I grew up on the Texas coast of the Gulf of Mexico. Early on, I experienced the wonder of standing on the shoreline and taking in the vast expanding waters all the way past the horizon you know the first thing you realize? It's this. The ocean is really, really flat. As flat as a pancake from one side to the other, as far as you can see. It just keeps going. So, I guess the earth is flat. But, number two, beliefs are also formed based on what we are told is true by an outside authority. So in school, I was shown a globe and told the earth was round, beach ball round. Okay, so the earth is round. I trust the teachers. They know what's going on, right? I'm sure they know where the earth starts to curve, because it must curve somewhere. It didn't at the beach. And then, number three, beliefs are formed when we have direct experience and the meaning is interpreted by an outside authority and... We adopt that authority's opinion. Okay, so I know the Earth is round because the teacher said so, but I can't shake the fact that I just couldn't see it at the beach. But the teacher goes on to explain that it's all about scale. The Earth is huge. I mean, really, really big in comparison to me. Standing on the surface, you can't see the curve directly. The evidence is found indirectly when you see a boat disappear over the horizon or you see the sun set below the horizon. Oh, and here's a great animated video that shows how the Earth is round and it goes around the sun and space is really cool and it's all narrated by a cartoon duck or something. Okay, I'm sold. Sounds reasonable to me. And there you go. I'm a globist. I didn't even need any more science behind it. The earth is round. After that, everything else I was taught simply reinforced the belief I already hold to be true. And there is how a core belief is formed. But how does that belief persevere? Core beliefs that people develop about themselves and the world can maintain themselves despite evidence to the contrary. Advances in neuroscience suggest that This is because the brain is essentially a a prediction machine. Expectations guide perception such that people are predisposed to see what they expect to see and to favorably process information that fits with what they already believe to be true. So, flash forward a decade or so and now I'm on a plane Surely I get high enough to see where this beach ball planet curves. But wait, I'm looking out the window of the plane, and it's still flat across. What the heyday? Oh, so I was then told that the Earth was so big that maybe even planes don't get high enough to see the curve. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, right? It's really big, I remember that. We are actually barely off the ground in comparison. You'd have to go much higher. It's just a matter of scale, remember? Okay, so I guess that makes sense. It's a really big planet, and maybe it just looks flat because I'm too close to it. I'll buy that. And with that certainty in mind, I can look back out the window, and if I squint, there I can see that maybe the far edges of the horizon curve down a a tiny bit. And there you have it. Belief Perseverance. But that example is very much the development of an active foundational belief. There is always reinforcement experience as we use this belief to predict travel, understanding cycles in the sky, and even anticipate day and night routines. The scientific community reinforces it. The space program seems to prove it. Geopolitics hinge upon it working that way. The world is as we believe it to be, so it seems. So why the possibility? Why do some even entertain the notion? Is it just a matter of education or sheltered psychosis? Are these flat earthers simply crazy and susceptible to believe anything? Well, not really. I mean, in contrast to active beliefs, core beliefs can be classified under the bubble of dispositional beliefs. You can think of these as inactive beliefs, beliefs that you hold but you don't really think about. Here's an example. This is a wonderfully entertaining story my mother-in-law likes to tell, and, and she told me it was okay to share even at the risk of embarrassment. Now, I don't think it's embarrassing, though. I mean, actually, it's rather endearing. See, she grew up in a small town in South Texas, the sort of small town that is surrounded by agricultural fields and large, underdeveloped property. Around the age of six or so, she and her sisters were outside playing. While exploring and enjoying the day, they noticed that trees around the area had the base of their trunks painted white. When she asked an adult why the trees were painted white, they were told it was to keep the rabbits away. Well, not seeing any rabbits near the trees, that seemed reasonable, and they took it as fact. Mystery solved. Every tree painted from then on out was obviously being protected from dangerously destructive rabbits. So, a couple of decades later, she's an adult. A college-educated teacher. A mom. And one afternoon, she's driving along with her daughters in the car, including my wife. At the time, about the same age as her mother had been when she learned about the rabbit problem. And she saw tree trunks painted white. Inquisitively, my wife turned to her and said, Mom, why are the trees painted white? Without skipping a beat, my mother-in-law responded, Oh, that's to keep the rabbits away. Then, with a pause, the introspection began. Obviously, that wasn't true. Long ago, she'd learned that trees are often painted to minimize insect damage and fungal infection. But that fact, which discredited the initial basis for the belief, didn't dispel the successive explanations that supported the belief. Also, since this was not an active belief, there was never a reason to revisit her belief in rabbit resistance treatments in the first place until she was the authority explaining this fact to her daughters. This is dispositional belief to a T. It's still foundational, but it's not something that shaped other thoughts or beliefs necessary to get through life. So, Let's pull all this back to our reactions to flat earth theory, and why the very idea of a, of a flat earth seems to cause such a heated reaction by so many. I mean, is it that our understanding of a spherical earth is a core belief that is affronted by the possibility of a flat disc-shaped world, or Is it a dispositional belief that suddenly falls into question with the proposition of alternative beliefs? Actually, it's kind of both. Our understanding of the physical shape of the earth, along with its place in physics and space, it's essential in our confidence in how our world operates. It functions as an active belief for most of our professions and civic functions. Our confidence in the spherical geometry of the planet gives us confidence in our ability to take air travel and navigate the oceans and and successfully arrive at our desired location. It gives us confidence in our understanding of how weather should behave and how our atmosphere is structured. It gives scientific fields a basis for studying physical properties for other things we can't directly observe, such as the planet's core. It is a very active core belief. But, it also sits in the back of our mind, unvisited, as a dispositional belief. I mean, we know the earth is round, and we don't think much about it. Even when we look around, we see the world extend in a flat plane around us, We see clouds floating overhead with seemingly flat bottoms. But we believe with confidence that the sun will rise and set and our clocks can be trusted. We don't think about why all this happens in relation to accepted physics. Most of us don't think about how gravity works on a globe. Most of us don't think about the structure of a magnetosphere surrounding our space ball, protecting us from solar radiation. Most of us Just don't think about any of this at all, because our personal world, no matter how big its radius, just isn't that big in relation to the earth. It's a belief that's as inactive as those rabbit-repelling white tree trunks. Okay, so now that we know that flat earth theory is capturing our attention because it's really calling into question our beliefs rather than battling presupposed facts, Let's look at our list of facts for a round Earth that we discussed earlier. First, we know the Earth is round, spherical in fact, and we've all seen pictures of it. Actually, it's pretty famous. It's affectionately referred to as the blue marble. But did you know we don't actually have a full detailed picture of the Earth as a big round ball from space? Nope. That big blue marble is just a composite. The Earth's surface is so big that even satellites orbiting can't take a full picture of it. They take lots of pictures, little pictures and pieces of the surface and then arrange them into a computer-generated composite picture. Even the cloud cover is sometimes altered to make the picture work. Yep, It's just CGI. You can't actually be sure that it's really round. Oh, and how about gravity? So think about this. Gravity is what is pulling the Earth's matter up into a ball in the first place, supposedly. Gravity at this enormous mass of the Earth is strong enough to pull the whole thing into an evenly distributed sphere. Except that it's not. The planet, for the physics to work, is actually a bit deformed, compressed. Because of the rotation, it can't maintain a perfectly round shape. It's actually squished down a bit on the top and bottom, and it, and it bulges in the middle. The centripetal force is so strong that it actually throws itself out of shape, like trying to hold on to a merry-go-round while it's spinning. So, gravity is strong enough to pull all this matter together and keep it there, with enough pressure that we have a molten core, and yet the planet is spinning with enough force to deform the shape throwing its own matter out toward the edges. You got all that? Now, somehow, with both of these massive forces working on holding our planet together while working against each other, we are still able to walk around the planet, propel ourselves off the surface. Somehow, even though gravity is keeping the whole thing together, we aren't crushed against the planet. And even though the spinning force of rotation can deform the globe, we aren't thrown off into space. Seems pretty unbelievable, doesn't it? Have I changed your mind? Are you questioning any beliefs at this point? Well, it should. If anything that I've said is true, then it should give you pause. If you can't counter with observable reasons why we should trust those composite pictures of ball earth, or why it makes perfect sense that gravity works the way it does and yet allows us to move freely across the surface, or why rotation doesn't throw us off into space, then the earth might as well be flat. Your belief in the round earth is no more grounded in explanation than a core belief established at the age of six because you saw a globe in a classroom. Instead, realize that you need to be open to revisiting your beliefs about the world around you, just as you would of beliefs about yourself and others. It does no good demeaning or dismissing flat-earth believers, because there really aren't any. Remember, statistically speaking, you're never going to meet a flat-earth believer. You won't you will have a better chance of meeting one of the 7% that are skeptical and have doubts about whether the earth is round or flat. And maybe that's really the more important find from the UGov survey. People are open to change in belief, especially when those core beliefs are called into question for the first time. The Flat Earth supporters make a very persuasive case, right or wrong, and in truth, It wouldn't change your day-to-day world that much if the world was a flat disk. Unless, of course, you were planning on trying to find the South Pole anytime soon. Good luck with that. Maybe the key for globe supporters is to focus on explaining why it all is, rather than simply that it is because it is. Science may have figured out a lot of things, but it's not infallible. Well, Let's end with an example that will show you just how influential belief perseverance can be in preventing ideas from coming forward. In 1912, a new idea was proposed by a German meteorologist named Alfred Wegener at the Frankfurt Geological Association. His proposal flew in the face of everything we thought we knew about the Earth's surface at the time. After looking through an atlas, he knew something didn't make sense. Wagner cut out maps of the continents, stretching them out and rearranging them. His ideas were dismissed at the time, and he later published his ideas in a book after World War I. It was after this book was published, uh, later in English, that everything exploded. His ideas were vilified and dismissed as delirious ravings. He was ridiculed for distorting the continents, and detractors, they were applauded for debunking his proposal. American scientists dismissed Wegener's proposed theory as pseudoscience, and he was accused of toying with evidence to spin the facts. By the late 1920s, an unnamed quote revealed the heart of the criticism. Quote, if we are to believe Wegener's hypothesis, we must forget everything which has been learned in the last seventy years, and start all over again. End quote. So, was Alfred Wegener some out in left field flat Earth theorist? No, his hypothesis—plate tectonics—and the idea of continental drift. He proposed the idea of the supercontinent Pangea and worked to refine his ideas for years. Up to that point, in Wegener's day, geological thinking stood firmly on a solid earth where continents and oceans were permanent features. The mainstream scientific community believed with certainty that the continental configuration had always been exactly as it was. And it wasn't until the 1960s, when new generations of geologists began to accumulate proof of seafloor spreading and tectonic movement, that his theory came into full acceptance. Now, his theory of continental displacement is the foundation of plate tectonic theory. (laughs) It really is the bedrock of modern geology. So, the next time you hear that the Earth is flat... Stop and ask yourself why you believe that it's not. And next time you find yourself at the coast, well, enjoy the view, no matter how flat it is. Okay, that's all for today. Thanks for joining me again as we continued our Flat Earth series. Please kick that uh, follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at Drop me a line, seriously, thoughts on the show, and what else we can discuss. Join the Facebook group, find me on Twitter, at TheorologyPod, or just recommend the show to others. All the info can be found at the show website, conspiracytheorology.com, including how to support the podcast on Patreon. As always, the music is by Adam Henry Garcia, and if you'd like to hear more, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. Okay, I'll see you again next time, when we'll wrap up our Flat Earth series by exploring the deep conspiracy behind it all. So, until then, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.